How are organizations combating malvertising, ransomware, and the evolution of cyber threats? Hi, I'm Tom Field, Vice President of Editorial with Information Security Media Group. My pleasure to be speaking today with Justin Dawey. He's the CIO and CISO with Malwarebytes. Justin, thanks for joining me today. My pleasure, Tom. Now, Justin, according to ISACA's 2015 Global Cybersecurity Status Report, only 38% of global organizations feel that they're prepared to handle a sophisticated cyber attack. How does that statistic jibe with what you see when you're out in the field talking with organizations? It's an interesting question, Tom. And when I saw the, the statistics that came out of the report, I must say I wasn't incredibly surprised. There have been a number of surveys and reports that have come out over the past few months, and, and the data all seems to be lining up around uh, companies' uh, own view of their own capability to deal uh, with a modern or sophisticated cyber attack these days. So, you know, I think it sounds uh, probably about right. I think a number of organizations' surveys over the years have not been incredibly accurate, and I think it's because there's been this sense within the security community that we don't tend to share the, our deepest, darkest secrets quite openly because because of the nature of what we do. But I do think a lot of the recent reports over the last four or five years, that there's been an awful lot more sharing coming from security organizations. So I I give a lot more credence and I, I give a lot more credibility, I suppose, to most of the statistics and so on that come out of these reports. You know, all security organizations, regardless of the company that, that, that they're bound to protect, are on a journey. And the journey is seldom a short one. So depending on the timing of an attack, the security team's ability to respond uh, in an intelligent and efficient way is really very much dependent on where they are on their journey. Even if companies have had a security team for more than a decade, and they feel they have a mature security program, given the rapid change uh, and adoption of new technologies over the past decade or so, so uh, by that I mean cloud, Internet of Things, virtualization, everything is a service, um, the security team and, and the program within that company would have had to go under, undergo a tremendous amount of change in order to deal with the evolving technology challenges. So I must say at the end of the day, it's not surprising to me that almost two-thirds feel that they're not positioned well enough to deal with a modern attack. So, Justin, drawing upon your own experience, as you visit organizations across sectors, where do you see the biggest security gaps? Well, I think, you know, over the years, a lot of security technologies and methodologies have tackled security issues that have arisen within our sphere of control. So, you know, traditionally, if you go back, again, I hate to keep talking about a decade, but when you've been doing this for a while, I tend to go back to that time frame. You know, we had our own data centers. We ran our own networks. We provided remote access. Our ERP and CRM solutions and various other things were inside of our own network, and we controlled access to those by leveraging things like remote access and two-factor Roth and various other technologies. And so now with everything moving outside of our environments, practically all of the applications being used now are software as a service, you know, whether it's your HR applications or your payroll apps or, or your ERP, your CRM, and various other technologies. We no longer have total control and visibility into these environments. In order to try and tackle those sorts of things, we have partnerships with those providers who provide those services to us, and we can audit them and provide them with security questionnaires and build that level of trust so that we feel confident that they're doing the right things and protecting our information and our users to to the best of their ability. But we still don't have control over the environment the way we used to. So really, I see a lot of organizations that have been focused on security for a long time still using those traditional methodologies 
Um, there are still some companies today that force all of their users to VPN into their address space in order to be able to access SaaS solutions, for example, which, if you think about it, really flies in the face of everything that SaaS is supposed to provide. I mean, I guess at the end of the day, they get the cost efficiencies of using something SaaS as opposed to buying a large piece of software to run your ERP or CRM with inside your company. But they lose the nimbleness. They lose the performance. They lose, uh, you know, the flexibility of the SaaS solutions when you have to VPN into your company's network and then go through a choke point to be able to access those solutions. I mean, that's one way of doing it. But I think that's sort of missing where the focus should be. I think the focus should be at the one place that we know we know where the user is and the closest place to the user where we can actually protect them, and that's the endpoint. Endpoint technologies are not new, but I think effective endpoint technologies are relatively new. There's a lot of solutions that have been around for a long time that we've all been using for a really long time and renewing every year, every single year, because of a, a compliance initiative or to check an audit box or something like that. But those technologies have not been effective as we've seen from all of the data, from all of the reports, those technologies have not been effective in protecting our users or our information, um, or our endpoints for that matter. So I, I think the endpoint is an area where ineffective solutions have lived for a very long time, but that landscape is changing now um, with the adoption of a lot of very interesting technologies, moving away from using signatures, um, leveraging things like machine learning, looking at behavioral analysis of and applications and user actions and so on. So understanding what good behavior actually looks like and then alerting for behavior that, that doesn't look like good behavior. It's a little bit like in the network world for the longest time. We've also all strived to understand what low tide and high tide looks like on the network and what normal behavior on our network looks like. And once we understand that, we can then alert for things that don't look normal anymore. So if we understand our traffic flows, how much data leaves our environment, how much data comes into our environment, and suddenly every Friday night at 8 p.m., a large transfer of data occurs over an encrypted channel from one of our one of our offices. If you have the ability to see that type of, that type of activity, you would alert for it because that could be a bad guy exfiltrating something. It could also be somebody deployed a new application or, you know, wrote a batch job or something like that to transfer data. But one way or the other, it would give you the visibility that you need to understand what normal looks like. And normal is sort of, in inverted commas, normal for one company is not normal for another. So you have to really understand your own business and your own traffic flows and so on. I think at the end point, it's an area where we're only really beginning to scratch the surface over the last few years and understanding. We're only beginning to scratch the surface and understanding what is normal behavior? What is normal application behavior across the multiple operating systems, across our, our, uh, our disparate environments and so on? And then alerting and taking action, not just alerting and saying, this looks like it might be bad activity. Now you human being must go and do something about it. We need technologies that can actually take action on our behalf, you know, to quarantine whatever activity is going on, to pin that process or that thread and say, I'm going to pin you right there and stop you from going forward because I think this is malicious activity. And then alert, and then somebody can come uh, to come around afterward and, and clean it up. If it is actually um, valid activity, then you can obviously whitelist that, and then that becomes part of your normal, if you like. But I think at the end point, we're only just getting to the point where we really understand these things, and we can have automated tools that will take action on our behalf that will protect us. It's never going to have zero false positives, but we're getting smarter and smarter and smarter every day. Um, and so if that's running resident on every endpoint where the user actually is, where a lot of our information is, where 
in environments where we've allowed access, it's a huge, huge boon for any security team to have that to have that kind of capability. Jess, I'm going to ask you some some sort of probing questions here to get some more background. At the outset of our conversation, I talked about ransomware malvertising, some of the new cyber threats. How would you say these have challenged organizations' traditional approaches to detect and defend? Well, there's a couple of things worth mentioning there. I think the traditional methods that we're talking about, so, so a lot of the endpoint solutions we've seen before, you know, they, they had a library of, of known threats, you know, signatures if you like, and they would scan your hard drive or they would scan your, your memory and so on, looking for those things. And if they found a match, they would alert you to it and they would quarantine and various other things. I think that, that, that was the way we used to be. Um, so many of the attacks now are happening in memory and they're never touching the hard drive. Although the exception there, I suppose, is ransomware, which, <laughs> which will, um, which will touch your hard drive in ways you don't want it to um, by, by rendering all the data on it unreadable to you. Um, but, you know, aside from some of the technologies, I think some of the traditional approaches, you know, I would look at user awareness and training, although they've always been a staple within most security programs. And I think that they've been very effective in educating users as to what actions they should take versus the actions they shouldn't take and how to recognize some of the more common threats like, uh, you know, funny-looking URLs or, you know, uh, too many dots in the URL or a misspelled domain name and, and general phishing attempts. You know, over the last five years in particular, lots of, lots of awareness around what a phishing attack is and what it's meant, what it's meant to achieve and so on and how to, how to recognize them. But with ransomware and malvertising, our labs uh, at Malwarebytes, we gather an awful lot of intel, an awful lot of data and telemetry and so on, um, and we monitor all of this stuff. And so the vast majority of the exploits are being delivered to the user without any user interaction whatsoever. You just browse to a website. And, you know, the first response that I get when I say that is, well, you could just block access to that website. Well, I'm talking about the New York Times. I'm talking about Realtor.com. I'm talking about Yahoo. I'm talking about Google. Um, all of these uh, companies, I'm not outing anybody here, all these companies have had events over the past couple of years where either malicious ads have been running in their environments or they've had some form of malware running within their environments and users have been exploited and compromised based upon that. And then I, I don't even have to, I, I'm sure, I, I don't have to describe to you the number of zero days that are out there in many of the web plugins that are running at resident in our, in our browsers. So, if, you know, if you're running, for example, Internet Explorer with a vulnerable version of Flash or something like that, um, and it's vulnerable to something, you just have to, browse to a website that fingerprints you and recognizes that you're vulnerable and then delivers to you, uh, you get redirected to a command and control site, delivers to you an exploit kit. And on board, there may be ransomware, for example. Um, you know, the user doesn't actually know unless they've got an intelligent tool on their endpoint. The user doesn't see any of this activity. You're being redirected to a command and control site in the background. You've been fingerprinted in the background. Exploit kit is delivered and is being processed on your machine, you can't see that occurring. So the average user can't see any of this activity uh, actually taking place. So it's happening behind the scenes. So exploit kits are being delivered. The malware is being delivered behind the scenes. The average user ca cannot see, and we can't expect them to see what's actually going on unless they've got a tool that's protecting them. And hence, the threat to the user is being delivered to the endpoint. Many of the traditional technologies, especially the network-based ones, that require you to route all of your traffic through them, for example, thereby, like in my previous example, where everyone has to remote into a network so that they go through a choke point. You know, a lot of those sort of proxy solutions and so on, you have to, to route all of your traffic through them in order for them to be useful. 
Well, in, in the days of cloud and SaaS and all that sort of stuff uh, and Internet of Things, you can't have all those devices remote into a network and then go through a choke point in order to gain visibility. So those, those solutions are no longer effective, um, uh, you know, not, not realistically anyway. So you need an intelligent level of protection at the endpoint, uh, one that will not only alert you to malicious behavior and activity, but the one that will actually take action on your behalf by blocking or quarantining, obviously alerting you as well. Um, but, you know, hopefully, uh, and there's some solutions out there that will actually remediate the threat as well. Justin, let's talk now about the tools. Now, in the course of our conversation, you've mentioned behavioral analytics. You've talked about machine learning, endpoint protection. What are some of the specific tools that security leaders need to be considering now? I think the tools that are first and foremost, you know, the valuable ones for me are the ones that give me valuable telemetry. So um, what things are running in my environment? Again, as I I talked about a little bit earlier, understanding what traffic flows look like, which apps, which systems, which hosts are reaching outbound, and in what ways and why in order to do what. Um, You kind of have to get to that level of understanding around you know, uh, my messaging environment, for example, if you've got SMTP gateways or something like that, you know, what does that traffic flow look like? How many messages? How much to, uh, How much traffic? And then can you actually model what that looks like based on perhaps marketing campaigns you send out or a newsletter or every week a whole bunch of emails go out to the company or are received by the company? So I, I think tools that provide you that sort of telemetry to be able to understand what the tidal flows, if you like, of your company look like. And then you can look for things that are out of the ordinary. So those sorts of tools I find valuable and, and alerting for things like suddenly traffic flows are up or suddenly my CDN is way busier than it once was or, uh, you know, your FTP environment or, or it really depends on the business. So I like gathering that data. I like having visibility into that data and then getting comfortable with what's normal and then alerting for anomalous activity for things that look out of the ordinary. Obviously, endpoints super important, I think, because it's where the user is it's where a lot, a lot of activity, um, a lot of activity happens. Our users, you know, as much as we might try and limit their capabilities, if you like, well, we're not trying to limit their capabilities. We're trying to protect them. And one of the ways to protect them is making sure that if their credentials get compromised in some way, shape, or form, that, that those credentials can't be used to do significant damage to the organization. And so we're protecting the company. We're also protecting the user. So one of the ways that, that traditional ways in the past that, that methodologies we've used is, you know, this concept of least privilege. If you don't need access to something, you shouldn't get access to it. If you don't need domain admin or super user access, you shouldn't have it. Part of the reasons for that are, you know, obviously credentials get compromised in, in millions and millions of ways. So limiting access sounds like a bad thing for the user, but we're actually trying to protect them. Um, but our users uh, are creative and <laughs> And they will find solutions. They will find a way to get done what they want to get what they want to get done. So they probably have a little bit more power than we actually think that they do, unless you're in an incredibly locked down environment, which there's very very few of those. Super important. Not only having visibility into what's going on in the endpoint, but having an intelligent tool that will be able to block or quarantine or remediate any activity that's going on, and obviously alert some form of a centralized management console for us to be able to gather the metrics and the data find out whether we have to deploy IT people to go um, fix machines or gather laptops so we can do forensics and hand out loaners and all that sort of stuff. Those tools, I think, are super important. 
Justin, final question for you. You talked about the need for improved user education. This is something that always comes up in security conversations. We always need to do more. We always need to do better. And yet it never seems to be quite enough. In your experience, what is truly effective when it comes to user education? User education has almost become a sort of like compliance. I think compliance gets a bad rap, but um, because I do think compliance is very, very important. Um, of course, though, compliance will not make you secure. I think it will help you on your journey to get general IT controls in place, but it, it won't secure you against a modern, sophisticated threat. But I think a lot of user education is very kind of boring. They make you sit through, I don't know, 35 slides, or they'll send you like a security newsletter or user education newsletter, and you have to read it and then check the box to say that you read it so that, again, for compliance purposes, you can say that we trained everybody. There are, however, some novel approaches. Um, there are some companies out there that will employ things like, um, I, first and foremost, the best example probably was the, the phishing stuff. So in the past, I've actually authored and designed my own phishing campaigns and, and to sort of educate people around what they should be looking for. And then when they do fall for it, we used to model it, um, when they do fall for the phishing uh, attack and so on, we don't demean them, we don't condescend. We basically say, hey, look, this is what occurred, and, you know, here's here's an idea of, of things you should look for in the future. And, oh, by the way, the fact that you fell, you know, fell for this scheme or whatever allows us to tune some of our filtering mechanisms to stop this type of attack in the future. So I found that interactive training works really well. So if you do send out a phishing campaign and somebody does end up clicking on the link and the payload gets delivered, have the payload be educational. Have them, you know, download a file. Um, from an email that's clearly wrong or sounds wrong or there's misspellings in it or whatever it is. Have a password in the email. Have it be an encrypted archive, like a, a doc, a Word doc or something like that. They double-click on it. They paste in the password. They open it up. Then hit them with the education. Say, hey, look, this was a, uh, you know, a, a part of our security education. It's part of the security program. Make sure it's branded correctly. It doesn't look scary or anything like that. And say, and this is an exercise. Don't feel bad. Like, People people fall for this stuff all the time. In fact, statistically, <laughs> amazingly high percentages of people fall for these types of things. But it will resonate with that user that something that they did ended up, you know, this this, um, this education ended up being delivered to them because of something that they did, and they maybe should have done something differently. So without demeaning the user or or making fun of them or anything like that or or chastising them, I think it's useful because they really want to protect the company too. They're not deliberately doing something wrong for the sake of it. There's no malice uh, on behalf of the end user. They just don't live in the world that we live in. Um, And so we we have to bear that in mind. Very good. Justin, as always, I appreciate your time and your insight. Thanks so much. Not at all, Tom. It was my pleasure. We've been talking about combating malvertising, ransomware, evolution of cyber threats. I've been speaking with Justin Dolly. He's the CISO and CIO with Malwarebytes. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tom Field. Thank you very much.